0: This evening's reading is taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Samuel anoints David to be king. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, The elders of the towns trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things a man looks at, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, writhe and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. And the reading continues in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past... While Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over Israel and Judah for 33 years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks very much, Pat. Let's just pray for a moment before we look at this amazing character, David. Father, we thank you that um, we can identify a bit, perhaps, with David. We feel, perhaps, that there are many others who could be better Christians than we are, better followers of you, more gifted, more suited, perhaps, for the role that you have put us into. But as we look this evening, we see in your word that you chose David and set your spirit upon him. And as believers before you this evening, we know that there is a a real sense in which you have chosen us to be part of your family, part of God's family here at St. Andrews. And we marvel at that and wonder at it. And we pray tonight that as you took David and made him into a mighty man of God, a mighty king, a mighty influence for good in the world, so you would help, help us to be the people you want us to be. For Christ's sake, amen. So do do keep uh, 1 Samuel 16 open in front of you, we're going to be looking at one or two other Scriptures as well as we go through uh, the evening, but the basis of what I want to say is there in 1 Samuel 16. I have a friend in Scotland, no, I I really do have a friend in Scotland, (laughs) and uh, my friend has two sons, and they are called Christopher and David. David is the younger of the two. And because he was smaller and younger, he was always known in the family as Wee David. Occasionally Wee Dave, and sometimes even Wee Davy lad. When I first knew Wee David, I guess he was about eight years old, and I went with his family to watch England play Scotland at rugby at Murrayfield, the home of Scottish rugby in Edinburgh. England luckily won a shockingly bad game, nine points to six, and as we left the ground, I was rejoicing in a very unsporting way at Scotland's misfortune. We David, aged eight, was wearing one of those ridiculous Scottish wigs that they wear on patriotic days to look like someone out of Braveheart. But underneath the mass of red hair, he was convulsed in tears which were not helped, of course, by my absurd triumphalism. <laughs> the following year, we went on a skiing holiday with them all to Hotel Nevada in Teane, which some of you here have been to as well. Our daughter, Laura, who is about the same age as we, David, is rather a hot skier, and she was rather more confident on the slopes than we, David and his brother. And so after a day or two, the boys were decidedly apprehensive when Laura suggested skiing together. Wee David was quite shy and understated in a delightful Scottish way. Last year, I attended Wee David's wedding in the rather splendid chapel at Aberdeen University. He has become an accomplished sportsman, a semi-professional footballer. He has qualified as a lawyer and has married a wonderful girl who is a P.E. teacher and a great character. They are both fine Christian people involved in the youth work of their church and leadership in their community, regular leaders on the Christians in Sports Plus camp in Scotland. We David has become a man, and a very fine and godly one too. So, it's possible. But what happened to David in the Old Testament can happen to people today, and they don't have to be called We David. We're looking at this Old Testament, We David, who became a man and a great and in many ways godly man. And I thought it was worth looking to see if the Bible gives us any clues as to why and how this We Shepherd lad. From the hills outside Bethlehem, the youngest of the eight brothers, should become one of the most dominant figures in biblical history. In due course, the Messiah himself would be known as none other than the son of David. Perhaps also in seeing how and why young David became great King David, I hope we might learn some lessons as to how we might mature both as individuals and as a Christian community, as a Christian family here at St. Andrews. First, let me just remind you a little bit of the story. It will be very familiar to, to many, of course, but just it's helpful perhaps just to remember how it fits into Old Testament history. We saw last week how the people of Israel, uh, settling in the new land after the period of the judges, badgered their leader Samuel into giving them a king. So they said that they would be like all the nations around them and have specifically a warrior who would lead them into battle. Paul reminded us that they ignored the warnings of Deuteronomy, that a king would exploit and impoverish them, make them serve him, both their men and their women, their sons and their daughters, that he would enlist them in his army and they would have to die for him as he enriched himself at their expense. Saul became king, and he reigned for more than forty years, a long time, gradually becoming more useless and more corrupt. Samuel of course knew that the people of Israel should not, should not be the same as the nations around them. They were the chosen people. They were the people through whom God was going to bring rescue and salvation to the world. Samuel knew that, and he knew that their God, Yahweh, should be their king. Uniquely amongst all the other nations, they had a personal God who lived in their midst and could be known and was to rule over them both individually and corporately. But as we all know, the history of the people is a history of rejection of God as King and Lord. And as Paul pointed out so clearly last week, at the heart of all that sinful behavior is idolatry. Men and women choose another God, a higher priority than the Lord God Almighty. Instead of serving the true King, they are ruled by their ambitions and their appetites. We know that battle ourselves only too well. Things that might be good in themselves make lousy gods. David, of course, was a much better and more successful king than Saul. He rose to prominence, as you recall, by being a warrior by the remarkable slaying of the giant Philistine Goliath. But there is much more to David than just the warrior. He reigned over Israel and Judah, the United Kingdom, and it was a high point. In the history of Israel, he reigned for 40 years. The shepherd boy from Bethlehem, of whom we read in this chapter, 1 Samuel 16, really did mature into a great man of God. And one of the most famous and most quoted verses of the Old Testament is, of course, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the question I asked myself as I thought about this passage and how to preach it this evening and our theme of uh, maturing disciples, calling people to faith, and then as a church helping one another to grow into maturity in Christ, the question I asked myself is what did God see in David's heart that was so appealing? What was it in David's heart that made Samuel and God know that this was the one who should be king rather than the seven other brothers? What did David have which his brothers lacked? And therefore, what qualities should we cultivate in our hearts as we mature as followers of the true King, the son of David, Jesus? And to answer that question, we've got to inevitably go on a little bit of a a paper chase around the Bible, and we're going to travel fast, but I hope that you'll uh, be able to keep up and follow with me. There are five things that I think we can observe from David that will help us, I believe, mature as disciples. First of all, just turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 13. And we'll see, the first point is this, that David has a heart for God." David has a heart for God. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 13. Uh, We're we're, uh, listening in on a conversation between the failing Saul and Samuel. "'You acted foolishly,' Samuel said. "'You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and anointed him leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart." Now I have, you'll be relieved to know, promised myself that I will not mention the Olympics or Paralympics at every sermon for the next six months, but I have to say, that I went on a journey <laughs> at the Paralympics, which illustrates the point that I want to make here. And I, in talking to others who went to some of the Paralympic events, I think others went on this journey as well. I feared at the Paralympics that I would only see disabled people rather embarrassingly trying to do sport, which they could not really do. I was worried that I would... Uh, see only the outward disability. And I found myself completely, to be completely wrong. I completely changed my mind. Almost immediately, in fact, particularly as I was privileged to be inside the Paralympic village where thousands of wonderful disabled people were living, I found myself seeing elite athletes with remarkable abilities, not disabilities. Being able to meet some of them and pray with them meant that I began to see into their hearts, if you like, beyond the disability. And I found it humbling and exciting, and I was astonished at the incredible uh, athletic achievements that they made. In the end, actually, for me, it outdid even the Olympics, which was a fantastic sporting event. Saul was a magnificent specimen an Olympian king, tall and athletic, but he had a disabled heart. David was a boy, but he had a heart that was for God. Samuel saw it perhaps in his eyes as the boy came before him, perhaps in his demeanor, perhaps in the respect he showed for the aging seer, perhaps in some of his remarkable poetry some of which was written when he was really quite young, uh, people think, some of which, of course, much of which is preserved in the Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We may have a thousand uh, different responsibilities and callings in our life. We will be diverse. We will be like a Paralympian team with all sorts of different classifications and skills and gifts. We'll have many individual struggles and temptations. But if we are to mature into the people of God, if we're going to become the individuals and the community that God wants us to be, we will have, like David, a heart for God. Secondly, we see that David had a heart for others, a heart for others. If you sit down and read through uh, these chapters which of course are culturally very far away from we are, but we can relate to them nonetheless. You will notice, if you read carefully, that David really cared for people. He was really interested in people. He was a people person. You see it time and time again. But the most dramatic example is, I guess, the friendship that he strikes up with Saul's son and supposed heir. Jonathan, and their friendship has become something of a legend. And I just want uh, you to see, as we look at David's heart, how he felt when he heard that Jonathan and Saul had been slain in battle. Just turn to 2 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 23. This is uh, David's lament when he hears about uh, was a little bit of David's lament when he hears that Jonathan has died. "'Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and gracious, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughter of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women." And he knew a thing or two about that as well. He was very much a person who empathized with others. There's a sense uh, in which the world might consider David's heart for others, his concern for others, to be in a worldly sense of weakness. And it is true, as we look at David's life, that he indulged his children disastrously and of course eventually fell hopelessly in love with Bathsheba to his ultimate undoing. But openness to others, having a heart for others, loving our neighbor effectively, makes us vulnerable, both to be hurt by their rejection and also by overstepping the mark in friendship. But despite being a mighty king and an absolute ruler of His people, there is in David a rare tenderness from which we do well to learn, and which I suspect was quickly spotted by Samuel. The mature Christian has a love and a heart for other people. Thirdly, David had a heart for service. He had a heart to serve. If you are still uh, with me in your Bible, just turn to Psalm uh, 78 uh, for a moment, uh, Psalms, page 591, 592, 592, Psalm 78 and verse 70. Psalm 78 is one of those Psalms that recounts Israel's history. And it praises God for His rescuing faithfulness. And it gets to the point where the people are settling in the land and battling against the nations around them who are trying to destroy them, especially the the Philistines. And let me just read from verse 65 just a little bit of this, because it uh, puts um, David in in the context of the historical situation. It's lovely. Verse 65 is 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 a rather favorite verse. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep as a man wakes from the stupor of wine." It's rather a lovely thought, I think, that uh, God was fast asleep, had a hangover, but it's not quite what he's trying to say. But, you know, but the Lord woke up and saw what was going on, and he saw that the people needed help. But the Lord awoke as from sleep as a man wakes from the stupor of wine. He beat back his enemies. He put them to everlasting shame. Then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah. Mount Zion, which he loved, he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, of his uh, to be his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands. He led them. God chose a man to lead his people who was a shepherd, a servant, humble, not a politician or a priest or a soldier, but a humble shepherd whose job it was to care for and protect his sheep. In doing so, God set an example for all Christian leadership and all pastoral care, thus called for all time. So the mature Christian does not have to be CEO or chairman of his company, though of course he might be where he will exercise servant leadership. She does not have to be the head teacher of the school where she teaches, although she might be. She does not have to, he does not have to be the father who lords it over his children, though of course he might sometimes have to exercise discipline. She does not have to be a wife who henpecks her husband, Although, of course, at times she might need to correct him, she will. But the mature Christian, whether in leadership or humble support of a leader, must have a servant heart. There has to be a joy in seeing others prosper and do well and serving them. The delight of the mature Christian, and this I believe was David's delight, was to see God's cause furthered. God's kingdom grow, and His name glorified. He served the King of kings, though He was the King, and He saw others grow to greatness. We should need no other thanks as mature Christian other than that we know that we have done God's will. Psalm uh, 89 – don't bother to turn to it, but uh, just want to read it – Psalm 89, And verses 19 and 20 tell us that God found uh, David. It's rather, again, a rather wonderful way of putting it. It just, it puts it like this. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, "I I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. Apparently the language of that psalm, I have found David, is the language of excitement, of thrill, like the the language that is used in Luke 15 of the lost coin and the, uh, the lost sheep and the lost son, that which was lost has been found. God found in David, and He was excited about it. Really excited about it. I found a king after my own heart who has a servant heart. And he was thinking, This is the sort of king I need. I'm excited. I've found the one I want. May he find such hearts in us. People with servants' hearts are people that God invests in. The fifth point I think that we can see from. the readings about uh, David is that he has a heart of integrity and skill. I, I spotted this again in Psalm 78 right at the end, David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. God wanted a man of integrity and skill. This was a very, very important job. He needed someone with integrity and skill. And by any estimation, David was a remarkably gifted person, and we should not beat ourselves up because we don't have such an astonishing variety of gifts and skills as he did. He was a great leader of men. He provoked amazing loyalty in those that he knew. He was a courageous and successful military commander. He was an eloquent poet. He was an able musician. He was a faithful friend. He was a wise judge and king, a man of of both great moral strength and yet full of mercy. Do you remember how when he was battling against Saul, he had Saul at his mercy in the cave, and yet he spared his life because he would not touch the life of the Lord's anointed? And, of course, he loved Saul, and he loved Saul son, Jonathan, as well. He was a man of mercy. He was chosen by God at a crucial time in Israel's history because he was well equipped for the job. He was the right man in the right place at the right time. And that will be true for all of us as we mature as Christians. The exercise of integrity, whether in small things or in huge things, as in David's case, Uh, These things uh, will enable us to use our skills in the way in which God wants us to do it. However humble and insignificant they may seem, God will enable us to be in a place where He can use us to His glory if our hearts are for Him, if our hearts are for others, if we have hearts for service. If that is where our heart is, God will use His people and he'll use the gifts with which he's given us wherever we are we can serve his cause and see his kingdom grow one ancient victorian commentator which i book i pulled out of my shelves and got blew the dust off put it like this we are immovable when we touch the bedrock of god's choice and hear him say you are to bear my name We are immovable when we touch the bedrock of God's choice and hear Him say, You are to bear My name." So God wanted a true king. 1 Samuel 16 is all about that. God wanted a true king. If we're going to have a king, we need a good one. David was was anointed by Samuel, verse 13, and the Spirit of God came upon him to enable him to do the tasks that God set before him. But and of course in human history there is always a but. Ultimately, we see the ugly sin of humankind even in David's life, even in this noble man with his heart for God, his heart for others, his integrity and his astonishing range of gifts. Even this man is ultimately a broken heart. In the end, every mature Christian comes before God with a broken heart heart. And so we cannot leave David and move on to study his son Solomon, which is going to be the rest of our series building up to the coming of the true king at Christmas. We cannot leave David without turning for a moment to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. In 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, we see the low point of David's life. He lusts after Bathsheba sunbathing, topically topless on her roof, let it be a lesson to all, he sleeps with her, he arranges her husband's death, and is then rumbled by the prophet Nathan. So, let's just look for a moment at chapter 12 and verse 7, where he is… When Nathan points out to David what he's done wrong, Nathan said to David, "'You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in His eyes? you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David, I believe, is genuinely heartbroken by what occurs. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51 spells it out even more clearly. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. So, he's heartbroken initially at the terrible thing that he has done, the terrible adultery with Bathsheba, and the shocking arrangement of Uriah's death. He's heartbroken at his sin, and he's heartbroken, of course, at the tragic death of Bathsheba's first child. And there is a sense in which he never recovers from this setback, and the consequences are disastrous for his legacy, as we shall see. But we have a redemptive God, and David and Bathsheba in due course have a son whom they call Solomon of whom we will hear much more in the days ahead. But the lesson surely for us is this. God longs for His people to be mature, with hearts for Him, with love for others, with a willingness to serve with integrity and skill. But at the end of the day, because of our sinfulness and our weakness, our hearts will be broken because we will not be the sons and daughters of God that we long to be. We need a greater role model and a greater king than David. We don't just need an example. We need a rescuer. The flaws that we see in our own lives are flaws that we see in His, and we need a king to forgive us, a king to restore us, and a king to refill us with His Spirit when our hearts are broken. Thank God that we have such a king in Jesus. Let's pray. There will be some amongst us this evening who feel very broken, sad at our failure or at the disappointment of others around us, at the... Weakness of our human condition. And yet, Lord God, we marvel that you set your love upon the sons and daughters of men. You invest in us. You believe in us, even when we struggle to believe in you and serve you. And we pray that as your spirit came upon David and enabled him to be the great king that you needed at that time, so your spirit now, we welcome your spirit to come upon us and enable us to be the individuals and the Christian family that you want us to be. And may all the glory go to King Jesus. Amen.